Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching a special topical study of the Holy Spirit, so grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Get your pen, get your pad, get your art. If you've been with us, you know we've been doing a special series, Life in the Spirit. And for us, if you're visiting with us, listen, for us, this is a big deal for us to be doing a topical study because we are a verse-by-verse Bible teaching church. Some saints say amen. And we're, we're just going through the scriptures verse-by-verse, line-by-line, precept-by-precept, precept, here a little, there a little. So for us to be doing a topical study is a big deal. We'll complete this study, and then I'll let you know what book we're going to after this. Right now, we're teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit and life in the Spirit. And so far, we've covered a lot of territory. Do I have your attention? We've covered a lot of territory concerning the Holy Spirit. We've talked about the person, the power, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about the deity of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, what he came to do. We talked about the personality of the Holy Spirit, that he has a will, and that he has intelligence, and that he can be grieved. We talked about those things. We talked about the mission of the Holy Spirit. What did he come to do? He came to come alongside of us and to help us and to lead us and teach us. And guide us, the Bible says. We talked about one of the main jobs of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus. And so far concerning the gifts, we've covered the word of wisdom, faith, gifts of healing, working of miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, different kinds of tongues, and interpretation of tongues. We've covered all of these. And I mentioned to you last week that we would be concluding our study in first, uh, stay with me, look at me, look, stay with me. I told you last week that we would be concluding our study on the gifts in first Corinthians chapter 12 last week. I failed to remember that there are actually two more gifts in first Corinthians chapter 12 that we also need to cover. So we're going to be in first Corinthians chapter 12 today. And then the next time we'll move on to Romans and then to Ephesians. I've titled this sermon, the Holy Spirit and the gifts Part six, the Holy Spirit and the gifts, part six. And we're going to pick up in verse 12 of chapter 12, and we're going to read all the way through verse 31. And I thought it best to go ahead and read it all, although we're not going to deal with every one of these verses. We're going to kind of lump it together and give you the gist of the meaning. But we're going to pay attention to verse 28 particularly. But I think it's better for our understanding if we read the entire um, uh, verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 12 through 31. So let's do that, and then we'll come back and have some comments. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, saints, we begin in verse 12. If you're looking at verse 12, could you say a hearty amen? amen? For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. 
For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, and have been all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but what, saints? If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? No, the rhetorical questions. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Of course it's of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole body were a big fat ear, where would the smelling be? But God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet, what saints, one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again can the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. That, here's why, that there should be no schisms or divisions in the body but that the members should have the same care one for another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Somebody say amen. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Somebody say amen. Now, you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church. This is where we want to focus this morning. Apostles, prophets, teachers. Miracles after that, gifts of healing, helps, underline that, administration, underline that, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? The answer is what, saints? Uh, All apostles? What's the answer, saints? All prophets? All teachers? All workers of miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire, in verse 31, the best gift, the best gift. And yet, I show you a more excellent way. Saints, stop right there. Give me your attention. Jesus and Paul use many metaphors and analogies to describe the church and the Christian. For example, Christians are like athletes. Uh, Christians are like soldiers fighting in an army or warfare. The church is said to be like a vineyard. The church is also called the body of Christ. The church is also said to resemble the human body. And I think of all the metaphors concerning the church, I think the human body metaphor is probably the most understandable. As Paul says, just like the human body has many members, but is one body, but all the members of that one body being many are one so also is Christ. Now listen, let's just clear this up. When Paul uses the word members, he's not talking about membership. Y'all say amen. Amen. Do we got that? He's not talking about being on the roll. Y'all know what on the roll means. On the church roll. Like if you got your name on the roll, then you are a member of the church. Listen, you can have your name on the roll, 
We ain't talking about a steak sandwich. Roll. Amen. <laughs> you can have your name on the roll. You can have your name on a brick of the building. You know the church programs? They used to, everybody buy a brick. Some churches, everybody buy a brick. If you buy a brick, then you can put your name on the brick and put the brick up. And forever your family's name goes down in the church. You can put your name on a chair. People buy a chair and put they, engrave their name on the side or a pew. I remember that. Or a pew. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Or you, buy, you put your name on a pew. Listen, you could put your name on a brick. You could put your name on a chair. You could put your name on a pew. You could put your name on the roll. It does not mean you belong to the church of Jesus Christ. Period. I'm waiting while you clap your hands there. The only way for you to be a member of the church of Jesus Christ is to be born again and spiritually baptized into the body of Christ. And then you are automatically a member of the body of Christ. And now you are automatically a member of the church. And that's why we don't have church membership here. I've had many people, you know, ask me, Pastor, what do I have to do to join the church? I tell them, just show up. Is that it? Just show up? Yeah, just show up. That's it. Just show up. And I'm a member? Absolutely. Are you a born-again Christian? Yeah. You know Jesus, your Lord and Savior? Yeah. You've been um, filled with the Spirit? Yeah. Well, then you're already a member. Amen. You don't need to join the role. We don't have a role to join. <laughs> I don't even know what we would do if we did have a role. What would we do if we had a role? Michelle, think about put more paperwork. That's what it would be, more paperwork. Why? Listen, even if, even if your name was on the roll, if you don't know Jesus, your name's not on the roll. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Paul says, listen, we are members of the body of Christ. Look at verse 12. We are members of the body, one body, but yet many members. Paul is talking about when he says the members of the body of Christ, saints, you're going to love this. When he talks about the members of the body of Christ, he's talking about the ecclesia, the ecclesia. Write that down. E-C-C-E-L-S-I-A, ecclesia, E-C-C-E-L-S-I-A, ecclesia, the ecclesia is not the Methodist or the Baptist or the, or the Presbyterian church. The Ecclesia is not the Jews, the Gentiles, the Protestants, the Catholics, the blacks, or the whites. The Ecclesia is never a sacred building. The Ecclesia is the called out assembly, the believing assembly. The Ecclesia is made up of all those who are redeemed and born again. The Ecclesia is the true believers in Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ. The Ecclesia, the members of the church, is not the local building, but the visible representation of the eternal church or the eternal body of Christ on earth. That's the Ecclesia. Paul says in verse 12, look at it, and might I add brilliantly, Paul uses the human body to relate how the eternal body of Christ works. Paul says the human body is one and has many members, but the same is true for the spiritual body of Christ. It is one, but has many members. In other words, every cell in the body is linked by a common root, DNA. Yet parts of the physical body looks different and works different. And has a different function. And yet it works together in unity. And even though they look different and they have 
a different function. They must function as one in order to be a complete whole body. Did you get that? In other words, you cannot take a physical body and put a limb in different places and expect them to work and move in unity. You see, every part of the human body is exactly where it's supposed to be. Every part of the human body is placed specifically by the designer. And every part of the spiritual body of Christ is placed specifically where they're supposed to be by the designer. Jesus. Now get your heads around this. Jesus has a physical body in heaven. The Bible teaches he ever lives to make intercession for us. The Bible teaches that he is even now sitting at the right hand of the Father, praying for us, ever living to make intercession for us. So he has a physical body in heaven, and Jesus has a spiritual body on earth. The spiritual body on earth is the church, and Jesus expects the church to be obedient to him, just as Jesus expects our bodies to be obedient to our brain. Think about that. He expects the church to be obedient to him just as he expects our bodies to be obedient to our brains. Look at verse 12, tells us many members. Look at verse 12, you looking at it? Many members, one body. Note, so also is Christ. So also is Christ means so also is Christ's body. In verse 15, Paul describes a different body members. He says, look at verse 15. He says, if a foot should say, I am not a hand, am I not of the body? It's still part of the body. The point that Paul is making is if any part of the body decided it doesn't want to function where it has been placed by the designer, we're going to have a problem. If any part of the body has a desire to be in a different place, then the designer has placed them, we're going to have a problem. You know, I was thinking about this this weekend. I thought if any part of the body has a reason to complain, it would be the great toe. Think about it. It'd be the big toe. I really do think so. Think about it. The big toe is down there. It's damp. It's cramped. It's smelly. What if the big toe got bummed out and said, you know, I'm tired of being the big toe. I'm always at the bottom of the body, always in the dark, always cramping. I'm bummed. I think I'll move up. And so the big toe moves itself up and plants itself on the kneecap. (laughs) And then it's not happy being on the kneecap. And so it moves up and plants itself on the nose, which is totally insane. I'm sorry. I'm I'm, I'm (laughs) sorry. That's my last one. I won't do it again, I promise. Well, maybe I got one more. I got one more, and that's it, okay. Totally insane. I came up all weekend thinking of that one, man. It's totally insane. Not only does it look insane, but it's weird, and it will affect the way I walk. Why? Because if my big toe, did you know this? If my big toe weren't exactly where it is, I couldn't stand here and teach this morning. I would lose my balance and fall over. Did you know missing a big toe will disqualify you from enlisting into the military? Did you know that? Did you know that during Vietnam, young men trying to dodge the draft, they would flee the country, fake an asthma attack, or shoot off their big toe? Why? Because the big toe is important. Although really small member of the body, it's critical that it functions exactly where it's placed if there's going to be unity in the body. A body is a unit or it does not exist. 
it must be a unit. Or what if, let's just say, your whole foot decided it wanted to be the mouth? How weird would that be? A big foot sticking out of your mouth. Now, we're going to leave that alone, okay? We're not going to say nothing more about that. So when parts of the body want to be other parts, they're not called to be, the body is deformed. Listen, the body-like unity of Christians is not a goal to achieve. It's a fact to be recognized. The body-like unity of Christians is not a goal to be achieved. It's a fact to be recognized. We are members of one spiritual body, and Jesus Christ is the head of that spiritual body. If you knew that, put the Bible down and clap your hands for the Lord. Will you do that? He is the head of the body. We are the body, and he is the head. The Bible is replete with verses concerning the headship of Christ. I'm going to give you two. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, write it down. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church. Ephesians 5, 23. But the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, and he himself being the savior of the body. Colossians 1, read it. Talk about the headship of Christ. Colossians 2, read it. Talk about the headship of Christ. Listen, it might be clear to us that Jesus is the head of the body, but do you know that this was not always, in church history, was not always clear, was not always a known fact in church history? I was doing some reading, actually some extensive reading, because I love church history. I love church history. So I'm doing some extensive reading for several hours yesterday, actually, um, on church history. Does the name John Huss sound familiar to you? John Huss. John Huss, he was a reformer and a Bible teacher. John Huss uh, was a contemporary. Anybody know who John Huss was a contemporary of? Anybody know? Martin Luther. Martin Luther, the great reformer. Martin Luther, the father of the Reformation movement. Well, John Huss and Martin Luther came against the papacy. Now, when you hear the word papacy, you want to think of the Catholic Church or you want to think of um, the Pope, the Pope or the Catholic Church. John Huss decided at an early age to become a priest. He was very smart. He got his bachelor's and then his master's degree and then his doctorate, and then he was ordained in 1401. He preached at Bethlehem Chapel in Prague, and the church seated 3,000 people, and he preached, watch this, in a language that people could understand. That's big. He preached in a language that people could understand, not Latin. Well, during the time of Huss, the official position of the church was that, was that the true church consisted of only the pope, the cardinal, the bishops, and the priest. Common lay people like us were not allowed to read and understand or teach the Bible. John Huss began to preach the Bible was the final authority and that the Bible was a higher authority than the Pope. Well, needless to say, that didn't go over well. He was later forbidden to preach. Later, John Huss read in the public square in Prague that the church was made up of all believers of all ages, of all races, and Huss preached uh, the, that, that the Pope was a reprobate and the leadership was a reprobate and disqualified from leadership. He argued that Christ alone is the head of the church and not the Pope, quote, who through ignorance and love of money is corrupt. He said to rebel against the Pope was to obey Christ. Well, they burned him at the stake 
for that comment. Listen, I could go on and on in the interest of time. I won't, but I could go on and on and on about church history. Paul simply says and makes it clear that Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church, not the pastor. Somebody say amen. Jesus Christ, I'll wait while you clap your hands. Yes, I will. Christ is the head of the church, not the pastor. Christ is the head of the church, and we are the body. Y'all listen to me. I'm trying to teach you something. We are the body. And as the body, we receive our source of strength from the head. We receive wisdom and all instruction and all of our resources from the head, which is Christ. If we detach the head, we're dead. Because the head is the life. The head gives brain power. The head is energy and instruction. Listen, you can cut off your arm and your hand and still have life. But if you cut off the head, life is gone. And the same is true for Christ. Well, let's look at these last two gifts and then we'll be done today. In verse 28, I want you to look at the gift of helps and the gift of administrations. We haven't covered those two. Uh, Let's first of all cover the gift of administration definition. The gift of administration is the God-given capacity to organize and administer with efficiency and spirituality, underline that, efficiency and spirituality, that not only is the project brought to a satisfactory conclusion, but it's done harmoniously and with evident blessing. The gift of administration is a God-given capacity to organize and administer with efficiency and spirituality, that not only is the project brought to satisfactory conclusion, but it's done harmoniously and with evident blessing. The gift of administration is also mentioned in the book of Romans, and we'll get there. Uh, chapter 12, verse 8. Romans chapter 12, verse 8 says, he who leads or leads with diligence. That's the gift of administration. Administration is also the gift of leading or the gift of leadership. The word administration, got a pen? It means to steer. To direct, to pilot, to govern. Steer, direct, pilot, or govern. Again, we're talking about supernatural spiritual gifts, not natural talents. And might I remind you without boring you the difference between spiritual gifts and natural talents. What is the difference between spiritual gifts and natural talents? It's as simple as this. Who owns the results? Who owns the results? Natural talents means you are good at just what you do and you own the results. Spiritual gifts means your ability is empowered by the Holy Spirit. A spiritual gift is given by the power of the Most High God. Is anybody listening? A spiritual gift, God owns the results. And when you're done, to God be the glory, great things he has done. That's a spiritual gift. I'll wait while you clap your hands. The gift of administration It's the gift of leadership. It's the ability to organize, administrate, and make things happen. If you have the gift of administration, you like to cover details. I don't enjoy details. My staff will tell you, I've had the same staff. Now, many of my staff members have been on staff for well more than 10 years. Uh, You know, maybe 8, 10, 12, 15. Michelle's been on staff 17, 18, uh, 19. 20, actually, <laughs> and um, I don't like details. I, I know I don't have this gift. You want me to tell you something spiritual? Know what your gifts are not. 
write that down. No, know what your gifts are not. That is just as spiritual as knowing what your gifts are. I know my gift is not administration. I don't like details. People who have the gift of administration, they love the details. They enjoy getting people together and organizing and mobilizing. The person with the gift of administration just knows how to organize things. And this is a very important gift because obviously whoever had this gift at the Calvary Chapel in Corinth was not exercising this gift because this church was out of order. And that's why Paul's writing the book. He, the whole reason why 1 Corinthians learned something, the whole reason why 1 Corinthians is written is because of order. The church was out of order. There was sexual immorality in the church, and people were drinking in, in the church. And You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.